Desperately Seeking Entertainment, the lucky episode number 13. I am one of your hosts, Mr. Chris Peterson, founder, editor-in-chief of Onstage Blog. Joined with me, as always, is Mr. Ben Frawley. How are you, sir? All right. What's going on, Chris? What's going on, people? Are we ready to get psyched, get into the world of entertainment? I am. I'm fully fueled, and I got so much stuff to talk about this week. We're just going to get into some hot topics, some stuff that we haven't talked about on the pod uh, since its inception. I cannot wait. Oh my yes, gosh. Yes, yes. Like, talk about a teaser there, folks. Oh, this yeah. is this is phenomenal. Oh yeah. Remember, Excellent. this is all entertainment. So I got I got a wide berth. Give me a wide berth coming in. <laughs> I get to pick <laughs> from everything, man. I love it. I love it. And folks, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, as always, what Ben and I like to do is bring five stories from the past week that inspired us that awed us that got us interested across all platforms of, of entertainment and we like to basically talk about these topics on the show the kicker is i have no idea what ben is going to say to me and i he has no idea what i'm going to say to him and afterwards we're going to go youtube it youtube go down that amazing wormhole talk about some videos that we saw over the past week that uh, piqued our interest as well before we get started as always definitely follow us on facebook uh, under Desperately Seeking Entertainment, where you can see all the videos that we're talking about uh, and some of the news stories as well, and a bunch of other fun stuff there too. So, my friend, yes, why don't you kick things off? I'm excited. I'm really excited. All right, all right, all right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna follow up on some stories that we've been following for the past couple of weeks, um, but this one was an interesting one, uh, kind of a scary thing. Uh, Martin Scorsese is quote concerned about the de aging effects in The Irishman. Hmm. Um. So the movie coming out for Netflix. That stars, uh, let's see, Pesci, De Niro, um, Harvey Keitel. And, um, you know, it, it takes place now and then they flash back to the 70s. So they use that anti-aging technology that we say that is so great, you know, as featured in Captain Marvel and Fast and the Furious and all these movies now. And how, you know, and even on this podcast, when we saw marvel we were just like this is the wave of the future we can do so much with this technology as far as movies we don't have to cast younger we we can just do something right um so here's the quote why i'm concerned we're all concerned is that we're so used to watching them as older faces when we put them all together it cuts back and forth now it's real now i'm seeing it now certain shots need more work eyes need more work on these exact same shots from the eyes the plate shot but the wrinkles and things have to get changed does it change the eyes at all? If that's the case, what was the, in the eyes that we liked? What was it? The intensity was it the gravitas. What was it? Was it a threat? So he's saying that this anti-aging thing is infecting the actor's performance. Um, and it's coming off as kind of fakey. So what do you think about that, Chris? What are your takes? Yeah. You know, it, it's, I can understand where he's coming from. I mean, when we see some of these de-aging, um, performances and even some like fully virtual simulated performances like for instance what we saw in rogue one for instance i I can see what i can see his point you know it's like yeah it it definitely changes the performance definitely changes the subtleties um in in an actor's performance but you know at the same time it's like you know this is this is the road you went down you know (laughs) it's like you chose to do the de-aging process rather than just cast a younger actor so you know 
to quote the Godfather, this is a business we've chosen. You know, you've, you've got you've to <laughs> gotta, gotta make, make it work. Right. I mean, and that's true, Chris. I mean, I mean, speaking of De Niro, I mean, one of his greatest roles is young Don Corleone. You know what I mean? From Godfather Part Two, mm-hmm. And no de-aging needed. And, you know, you're essentially taking away parts from younger actors by doing this as well as I'm just thinking about it. You know what I mean? So there's good parts and bad parts about this. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I understand that, you know, with with actors like De Niro and 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 Pesci and Pacino and, you know, some of these iconic figures, it's, it is tougher to try to find younger actors to kind of fill those shoes, but it is possible. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, if Hollywood wants to, to do this trend of de-aging everything and, and whatnot, then this is this is what you've got to live with unless unless you know cgi can really get down to the the finite details um and things like that i mean this is what it is yeah and uh there's some great you know speaking of that there's some great youtube videos and i think i i mentioned one of them last week and it's called uh, vfx artists look at different cgi so the guys go down like marvel ones but then there's also they talk about de-aging effects and they go through you know um Rogue One, they go through Fast and the Furious. They say Fast and the Furious was probably one of the best ones because they actually had Paul Walker's brothers uh, Mm -hmm. acting as him and then morphed his face over the top and actually just used double exposure most of the time. They didn't even use computer animation. Um, But then they would point out there's certain things. So, you know, the famous, what is that, the Fast Fast 8, I think? Yes. When was his last one and they have that, you know, uh, I forget what song is playing. I'll remember you or something. I don't know. Something's playing. Yeah. Him, yeah. Him and Vin Diesel are driving off. They actually point out that the sight lines of his eyes aren't working. So he's kind of staring off in the distance and not looking at Vin Diesel. And they're like, that's a minor critique. I mean, you could go crazy and fix that. But it, it, they said that that was the best so far, the best we've ever seen. So wow. hands down. And wow. they talk about Nick Fury. They talk about all these things and the problems with them. And it's really fascinating, like the work that goes into the CGI to make it that realness that because, you know, I think we talked about how if you make it too real, sometimes it gets creepy. Yeah. So you have to kind of I don't know. It's really interesting. So, yeah, check those guys out. But I don't know. I, I I'm I'm very I'm still very hopeful for this movie. And, you know, Scorsese is a I would say control freak, but he is a he's meticulous. That's what I meant. He, he's meticulous in his planning. He's meticulous in his shots and how much that he puts into every single shot. So I think I'm, I'm hopeful for it because he is paying attention to these small details. And this is the first time he's used this technology. So good for him for being concerned. So. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. You know, it's funny. This is not one of my, my five, but I thought that the, when you mentioned Scorsese, I thought you were going to bring the story about his wife starting a GoFundMe account to fix their kitchen. Do you hear about this? No. What? <laughs> All right. I think I, it's like, so I, I didn't read the, the details, but um, apparently his wife was bemoaning the fact that they had flooding in either their basement or like her kitchen or something of what I I don't know if it was their main house or maybe a vacation house or whatnot. So he, she actually started a GoFundMe to fix it. And everyone was like, you're Martin Scorsese's wife. Like is, (laughs) is money an issue right now? Like, so it was just, it was basically ludicrous. And then like, I think like weeks later she shut down the GoFundMe after like, you know, intense backlash. Did she it, not so. know what GoFundMe was for or something? What I, maybe, I mean, <laughs> who knows? 
house. It's like, you know, Melinda Gates being like, hey, I need money to like <laughs> fix something. Wait. I mean, if that's the case, I mean, I'm strapped for cash here and there. I mean, hey, I need to go fund me for someone to hire a lawn boy for the summer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I've, I've chosen it. the career of, you know, humans, <laughs> human uh, services. So we don't get paid a lot. So, yeah, I'll. Like Kickstarter the backyard or something. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Why not? Oh, I love it. All right. Well, good stuff, man. All right. So my first my first one. Dude, I had a amazing weekend of Netflix viewing. Mm. I don't know what it was about June, the end of May, but like Netflix was like the past week and a half was like, you know what? We're just gonna give you some awesome content over the next week. Um, in addition to this great movie called Always Be My Maybe, which people should definitely check out. It's a rom-com with an all-Asian cast, which is amazing mm. to watch. Um, one of my favorite things I watched was this, was this documentary called Bathtubs Over Broadway. Have you seen this? No. Oh, my gosh. So you would appreciate this. So it stars one of the head writers of the David Letterman show. His name is Steve Young. And – over the course of his career, one of the things, one of the the bits that they used to do on the Letterman Show was called Dave's Vinyl Collection, mm-hmm. where he would pull out this really obscure record, and they would listen to it like, oh my god, like the unintentional funny um, albums, like you know, and things like that. And as this guy was searching for for stuff for that bit, he discovered this thing called industrial musicals have you ever heard of these industrial musicals is it like stomp or something like that no even better okay so it would be <laughs> it would be basically like like texaco um doing like a national convention for all their salespeople, uh-huh. and then during the sales meeting they would stage a live musical with original songs but all tied into texaco products Stop or it, it would be ford motor company or coca-cola or mcdonald's and they would always have like original musicals that were written, performed, choreographed at these national conventions, at these national sales meetings. And then they were recorded on vinyl. So then <laughs> you've got like these copies of these sales meetings. And in the middle of it, you've got this like three, you know, to six song musical in the middle of it. And um, this guy found this and then started collecting them. Uh, and now he's the world's largest collector of industrial musicals he practically has almost every single one known to man (laughs) (laughs) and this entire documentary talks about his collection um you know he actually ends up meeting a bunch of people that were in these musicals and a a lot of them actually went on to amazing careers like martin short was in these um cheetah rivera was in these um so like some big name artists got their start in industrial musicals and in they talk about you know some of these actors they talk about how great it was because they would literally instead of maybe getting one or two gigs on broadway every couple years they would do like 10 to 20 of these industrial musicals and often they would pay just as much as a broadway musical would if not more so this one woman talks about how she did you know um bathtub products like a a, a bathtub product commercial then like tupperware and stuff like that it is an amazing documentary to watch if you love theater if you love music just if you love music and songwriting and they actually talk with some of the songwriters about how they would write some actually really good sounding 1970s musical theater but you know tied into products so that's That's don draper shit right there oh my gosh it was brilliant brilliant so i just wanted to bring that up but yeah no it's it's one of those things where if you can just imagine 
a, a two, almost a two act musical about McDonald's. That's what <laughs> these industrial musicals are all about. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal documentary. So yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, folks, bathtubs over Broadway, definitely check it out. Excellent. Yeah. I did some, I did some Netflix and uh, this weekend too. And I, I think we were talking about the uh, celebrity roast or the historical celebrity. Yes. Roast. Historical roasts. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't want to spoil any of it for anyone and, you know, go through that. But um, some things were hit or miss. Mm-hmm. I, I, It was pretty slick how they did it. You know what I mean? It was kind of honoring the person in the same way, in the same time, making fun of the person. Um, <laughs> and they were just kind of making fun of a thing as opposed to the person, like making fun of an ethos or making fun of like a, a way of life. Um, do you think it worked, Chris? Did you check any of them out? I started watching what was the first, I think the first one and I had to actually, yeah, I had to stop because my little guy came in the room and. (laughs) So maybe next week we'll talk about it. I just, I just want to, I just want a discussion of um, like if it worked or not. And like, you know, maybe next week there'll be a little cliffhanger for next week. Maybe we'll talk about like if, you know, how is that, how is it, is that, is it okay to do this? You know, how is it okay for them to say this, but then we get offended at other things? So it's just a really interesting discussion. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Love it. All right, sir. Yeah. What else you got? Let's go. So my my friend from uh, high school, Jennifer, her website, um, 25 years later, um, actually is showing up on my uh, newsreader that I use so I can star some of her articles. I think I've talked about them before. They had a great article, 25 years later, um, 1994. Um May of 1994, they talk about this one month in this one year and how these great pop culture things came out. And um, Beastie Boys, Ill Communication, um, Star Trek, the last episode came out. Uh, um, well, sorry, The Next Generation, the last uh, episode came out. And The Stand came out on TV, the TV movie, The Stand with Gary Sinise came out. And then also Toad and the Wet Sprocket had an album. <laughs> um it's just a great month in pop culture history, you know, something that we talk about on this show. And it was just really interesting, all these things that they mentioned that we still talk about to this day. And it's really interesting because my buddy Dan and I actually, we uh, were watching for the video for Four Non Blondes, which is around the same time too. <laughs> and how some things are so 90s and just kind of cemented in that culture. Um, but some of those things on that list, and it was just a great article about the importance of ill communication and just, I don't know. and you know, the stand really elevated like TV movies in general, how what someone can kind of take that kind of, you know, something that we talk about and kind of take for granted. You know, I'm looking at a, a show like Chernobyl, you know what I mean? Which is fantastic, mm-hmm. great show. And without the stand, I don't think we're having shows like that or without any of the Stephen King made for, you know, TV movies, you know, it and the stand and the Langoliers and all these movies that, you know, probably haven't aged well. They're probably pretty slow at today's standards. But, you know, when you saw these kind of quality actors signing on for these projects, it really elevated the kind of format. So really cool article. That's awesome. Yeah. 94 was, you know, going back and and looking at it was a ridiculous year, at least in cinema by itself. I mean, I think one of the big, you know, is that Forrest Gump? That's Forrest Gump or, here. Um, or that Pulp Fiction too. And Pulp Fiction. And, and Pulp Fiction. Okay. it's also the launch of, of Jim Carrey as a, a lead actor. Oh, I mean, So that's that year too? That's that wow. year. Uh, Lion King, the original Lion King. Um, Speed coming out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's it's an incredible – and an, uh, what I think is an underrated action film is, is True Lies 
you know, yep. that's another one. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it, it was a really, it was a great year in, in cinema and, um, yeah, totally. I mean, that's awesome. And I was you know, yeah, and 13, Beastie Boys. So ill communication just still holds weight. And, you know, after just reading the book and how, what they were kind of into and, you know, not to jump ahead to our YouTubing segment, but there's a great Amazon put out this mini doc on ill communication 25 years later, like this week too. It was kind of crazy. So I read this article and then this came out and they just go through, it's like 14 minutes long, I think. And they go through, you know, what they were thinking. So it's a a new interview with Adam Horowitz and uh, Michael Diamond talking about, you know, what they were doing in that time of their lives, like how they came to make that album. Really cool. Really cool. Yeah. It's, it's one of those where, I mean, I remember where I was the first time I saw the sabotage video. Oh yeah. And I was like, what is this? This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then they played, I think it was like, they played the, the, either it was the movie awards that year for MTV or the um, video music awards. And they just, they have guitars in their hand. They're actually playing the music and just, going off on it yeah awesome i remember i remember the first time i think i saw i was on vacation this is a, a memory i was on vacation in cape cod with my parents and this was like this is one of the most fun vacations of all time my parents were like oh it was a terrible vacation like rained or something i was like i don't give a shit like they got the kids a cabin and then the parents had a cabin right mm-hmm. so this was dope so we got to do anything and it was like my buddy sean and i we were the oldest kids but dave letterman uh started hosting the late show that week and i believe that week so bill murray was his first guest i think bill was on the whole time and then like the next night or that night beastie boys played sabotage and i'll never forget that just ad rock just screaming sabotage into the mic and still i get chills when i see that performance and it's just because up until that point i mean if unless you were just like a giant nerd like even when you listen to check your head and you're a kid, you don't realize it's them playing the instruments. You thought it was just, Oh, they right. got some side guys to play on this album, but to see them play the instruments at that level and just, I don't know, it's a rap song. It's a hardcore song. It's a metal song. It's everything kind of blended together. And it's just one of those great years between them and like rage against the machine blending like rap, rock metal, you know, uh, crazy lyrics over the top of it. Like between those two bands, it's just those two bands still hold up and still make an impact on future bands now. So it's just, it's a great time of music and culture. Totally, man. I love it. All right. So also this past weekend um, on Netflix, another thing I watched, which a lot of people are watching right now is the mini series when they see us, which is all about the central park five case uh, in New York city uh, in the late eighties, which was when you look at what happened, uh, in just an incredible travesty uh, of of the criminal justice system of New York at the time. And what's very interesting is, first of all, have you did you watch any of that this weekend by any chance? No, I didn't. Oh, it's it's a it's a tough, uncomfortable, gut wrenching watch. It is it's not meant to be, you know, entertaining if in a way, so to speak. You're not, you know, it's it's just one of those. I I can kind of compared it to like a, a almost like a Schindler's List. Oh, where it's wow. like you yeah you just have to just bear down and watch it um and it is it's a tough watch because you're watching blatant you know racism within the New York police department and and leading to the arrest of these these five young teenagers who had nothing to do with what had happened um but what's even more interesting is because people are watching this because we're living in the, the times that we are now apparently since then one of the uh 
people that's featured in the film who was one of the uh, prosecuting um, uh, officials in the New York police department is now getting a bunch of backlash because oh. since that case, she's going on to become like, she's on the board of trustees of Vassar college. She's, you know, celebrated author and things like that. And now people are like, wait a second, <laughs> like look at what you did. And over the past, like three days, um, just intense backlash. She's actually resigned her from like several boards that she's, uh, served on and things like that. So just, it's a mess, but a lot of people are saying, you know, like, you know, well, it's, you know, it's 20 years later. Like how, why is this, you know, now becoming an issue mm. with her and people, other people are saying, well, you know, it's about time, so to speak. So let me ask you this. When we talk about like cancel culture nowadays and things like that, is there a statute of limitations when it comes to certain things? Like when new information is, is uncomfortable and stuff like that? Well, I think it depends on what the crime is. I really do. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think a lot of people, we talk about the Me Too movement and just how that was such a whirlwind, whirlwind. And some people, some people, you know, were justly pointed out, you know what I mean? Like, you know, pointed out for their behaviors. I'm talking about Harvey Weinstein and, you know, even though he's selling, settling out of court and it'll be settled in some manner, um, you still get a guy the sense that this guy was just he would use that kind of bravado and brashness to kind of bully people into corners and buy movies and that was kind of his style right and then not to mention the sexual harassment slash assault piece that you know he's settling out for like a millions of dollars um but then you had these kind of smaller players i mean i'm most times if it wasn't during that year we probably would have had that story and then moved on and maybe uh, and I'm not justifying their behaviors or actions, but like, I'm thinking of like James Franco, like mm -hmm. where that was a story. I mean, um, it, it happened supposedly it, it, it didn't, it's kind of one of those not founded kind of stories and it's just floating there. And his reputation, it really hasn't come back yet. You know what I mean? Right, I haven't really right. seen a lot of interviews with him and I, I've seen a couple where he's apologized and, uh, but still, I don't know if the movie roles are coming in or if, you know, and I think he's doing it right and kind of keeping a low profile and because it's hard for him because if he's in a comedy, let's say with Seth Rogen, is he going to make the funny, the movie unfunny and be a distraction? So it's, it's really tough, Chris, to, to know, like to gauge like that limit. It's not like we have a sentence, you know what I mean? You get five years, you can't act anymore. Right. So it's really tough. And, and this is all due to like cell phones and, and technology nowadays. Things like this were happening way, way, way back, especially in the 50s, 60s, 40s, you know, with movie stars yeah. and just scandalous things. So we're just finding yeah. out. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, Chris. That's great. What do you think? Well, you know, it, uh, I think you nailed it on the head. I think it, it depends on the issue, um, you know, with this woman and, and her name is uh, her name is Linda Fairstein is actually her name. Okay. Um, okay. You know, I, I do think because she's gone on from this case to become the celebrated author. She, you know, when, when it was proven that these five men were innocent, she never really got her just due because she had already retired from the NYPD. Like she had moved on, she'd become the celebrated author. So she never, you know, had that moment of like, Hey, you really screwed up here in this situation. Right. So, you know, part of me is like, you know what? I don't mind the fact that, you know, this is happening now, so to speak. And, you know, interestingly enough, the, the actress that plays her in the, the movie is Felicity Huffman, who's going through her own 
legal issues right now. Right, exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of like, oh, thank God, you know, it's played by an unlikable, an unlikable character is played by an unlikable actress uh, right now. Makes it a little bit more easier, uh, easier to swallow. But, you know, on a side note, what I love most about this miniseries when they see us is you really are watching actors, certain actors do career best work. And you and I both as actors, I mean, I get charged when I see that, when I see an actor that I've known for a long time yeah. and I'm like, holy shit, like you are doing some amazing work right now. Like for instance, John Leguizamo's in this. He's incredible. Uh, Michael, Michael K. Williams mm-hmm. from The Wire, one of my favorite actors, period. He's amazing. Oh, well, he's heartbreaking. Like Omar. Omar. He's, incre- <laughs> Omar's he's incredible coming. in this. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's and, the, and the, the actors that play the young men that have been arrested are just breathtakingly good so um it's just there's something about watching actors do career best work that i just absolutely love seeing so folks if you haven't seen it yet you owe Excellent. it to society basically to watch this uh lavar burton came out and said this is basically as essential to watch as roots was so that's a huge like that's high praise wow so yeah and he doesn't he just doesn't throw that around it's not like <laughs> it's like it's not like every right. month he comes out <laughs> lavar burton says like that's that's the first time i've ever heard him say something like that so that's great exactly so yeah definitely definitely see that if you can so cool man what else you got excellent all right so um here's a piece so i think one thing that uh i have not been uh letting shine through on the podcast is my love for like old school gaming and video games i mean i think i may have mentioned it but we've never really gotten to a discussion so chris i know i'm a little older than you but were you familiar back in the day with a a game called doom and doom 2 yes uh those were some of my favorite games ever doom 1 and doom 2 just phenomenal uh doom especially doom 2 and the story i want to talk about is um romero's so John Romero is the maker of Doom 2. And, you know, spoiler alert, when you get to the end of Doom, you actually see his head on a pike and you hear him saying, like, I am John Romero and I built Doom in reverse or something like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I spoiled that, you know, 30 years later. Man, we just spoiled the end of the game. <laughs> a 20-year-old game. So the name of the spiritual successor, that's what it's called. It's called Sigil. Um, and it uses Doom technology, so it's not a new game or anything like that. It's just using the old school PC version, like eight eight bit, yeah, whatever PC it is, yeah. Um, and it's yeah. called Sigil, so it's a mega wad. So I don't know if you were such a nerd that you downloaded wads off the internet, and that's what the levels were called, and you would actually upload those into your game and be able to play new levels that users created. Um, so this is a really official thing, and it's free. You can buy it for free or buy it like officially for $7 and 50 cents on the internet, which includes a metal uh, soundtrack from guitarist Buckethead. (laughs) Get out. Oh, stop it. Yeah. So like, I mean, it's so crazy. And like, there's a great uh, YouTube video on the making of doom two and about John Romero and how he made this thing. And I didn't realize Chris. Now, did you realize this, you know, similar to sigil that doom was a freeware? No. Yeah, and I bought it too. Wow. Like I think my parents bought it, or I I went to the mall and bought it myself for twenty bucks or something. It was pretty yeah. cheap, but um, I remember. So this was a freeware. So what they did is they just, they distributed this for free, and gave it to all the stores and said, "Go ahead, guys, repackage it, sell it any way you want, but we're giving it away for free, just to spread the game." And so, like, I, I don't know at the time it was probably like. I'm going to say GameStop, but I know it wasn't. But like every PC 
PC world gaming, like a, like a Radio store. Shack or a Circuit City type yeah, place. Radio yeah. Shack, exactly. Um, would have to make their own packaging and then download it to disc and sell the disc. So if you bought a game back in the 90s and I bought Doom 2, we probably have different packaging on the CD and the box. So wow. that was like a Radio Shack box and that was a, uh, you know, a media play box or something like that. So really interesting, like how this guy was so ahead of the curb curve in this in the sense that you know um you know radiohead releasing in rainbows for free on the internet and just telling people you know hey guys just pay us the money that you think we deserve this guy was way ahead of that all the way back in 1990 whatever the two or three so really cool and i i, I can't wait to play it i'm going to download it for free and i'll give my full review in the coming up in the couple coming up weeks, i can't so. wait for that i can't wait you know it's funny i i Looking back, I never owned it personally because I wasn't a, a PC gamer. I was, you know, always a um, you know a platform guy. Uh, but yeah, right. Um, I do remember like going to friends' house and you know playing it on the computer. And so I never, I never got to see like the packaging or never got to see how it was purchased. But that's amazing and so smart too because like if it if it takes off, if Doom One takes off and you know it's offered to you basically for free or whatnot. And people love it, which is exactly what happened. Then Doom Two, when you do release it and sell it, you get just that much more from it. So crazy. that's so just smart. Crazy. That is so smart. Yeah, wow. way ahead of their time. Way just that kind of level of foresight to see this is how media is going to be released. The guy's a genius. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he put so much work into this, and it just really craziness and. There's so many little things inside that game and they really, you know, cause ID software were the ones that broke out Wolfenstein too. Right. So they, they, in the same exact way, they learned from that game. Then they learned from doom one and they just kind of perfected it with doom two. I, in my opinion, I think doom two is still one of the best first person shooters of all time. I, I've bought it on multiple platforms. I bought it on the PC. I bought it on Xbox live multiple times just to keep it going. I mean, there's nothing like playing doom two and listening to podcasts or old time radio or music. It's one of my favorite zone out activities. I could do that for hours. So amazing. Well, you know, you just play doom and listen to the communication and then you're just right back there. (laughs) Well, I mean, it'll take me right back to my youth. There you go. I mean, I, I do remember the controversies when like, you know, because of the graphic violence and things like that. I mean, this was also around, around on time of mortal Kombat and like, you know, right. everybody was like, oh, these video games are so violent now. And then you look back on them now and you watch them and you're like, it's nothing compared to what we they're have nothing. today. They're, they're nothing. Like there's more violence in like a, I don't know, Curious George episode or something. <laughs> <laughs> that, that may be a stretch, but. Uh, yeah, that was a stretch. I know. I just read Curious George with the kids. So it's on my brain. So. <laughs> it's on your brain. I love it. Oh my gosh. No, it's funny. I just, they just released um, you know, Mortal Kombat 11. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've seen it. The fatalities in that are like ungodly. And Bruce Campbell and uh, Ash Williams is a playable character, I think. Stop it, is he? I think so. Are they hinting at it? I don't know if they've unlocked him yet or something. Unlocked like it that. yet? Oh, yeah. oh gosh. I, I, <laughs> that would be the, that's just the end of me. That's amazing. <laughs> awesome, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yes, All sir. right. Well, for my next piece, dude, this Sunday is the Tony Awards. Ooh. Um, you know, Broadway's biggest night. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it's it's could be huge we're gonna be all over it I, I know i mentioned this before but uh we're actually gonna be we're gonna have someone on the red carpet we've already had someone attend a lot of the pre-show pre um tony events throughout the week um i'm gonna be down there in the press room so it's gonna be it's gonna be a good good night but 
it's an interesting year because there is no favorite whatsoever. There, there are there are definitely musicals that and, and plays that have won, or excuse me, that have more nominations than others. But in all the awards that have been passed out before the Tonys, it's like a different show is winning each time. Now, why, so, why do you think why do you think that is, Chris? What's your speculation? See, this that? is so. This is my speculation: is that this is this is the era that we're living in when you've got different themes on Broadway right now, so to speak. So you've got like the LGBT uh, okay. inclusiveness of the yeah. prom, and then with you know, Hades Town, you've got classic literature with, that has been adapted to Broadway, which gets all the you know the artistic folks you know, uh, revved up. Um, then you have the folks that just love the glitz and glamour silliness of musical comedy mm. with Tootsie. So again, you've got all these different types of shows now that usually attract votes from, you know, different pockets, whether it's a generational thing, whether it's a demographic thing. Um, I don't know what it is, but that's, I think that's what's leading to a lot of people, you know, voting for different shows um, rather than just, you know, you know, like we've had in the past, you know, that one show being like, that's the, that's it. That's the big show this year, so to speak. So it's going to be an interesting year, but I wanted to, to the, the question I wanted to ask you was, you know, growing up, did, was, were the Tonys ever for you one of those things where it's like, wow, I want to, I want to someday, I want to get into, you know, acting and theater because, you know, someday I want to be there. Or was it like, yeah, who cares? Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it definitely was on my radar. Um, you know, especially when I caught the theater bug, um, you know, I would hear who won this and who won that I'd research who the actor was, but really didn't get into it. I mean, like Chris, I mean, I've said this a couple of times, um, you know, musicals aren't my thing. Mm-hmm. normally there's a couple core favorites where I know every single word to every single song so that, you know, cause listen, I'm a theater geek. Okay. Let's calm down. Um, but at the same time, that kind of excludes me from liking half the things nominated in a Tony award ceremony. So that it's tough. It's tough for me to, and I kind of always felt like I was kind of an outsider too, because I always looked up to actors that other actors in theater didn't where other actors might point to a musical actor. They might point to a very serious, like Daniel day Lewis. And listen, I'm not here to crap on Daniel day Lewis, but he is not my, like very early on, I realized what I was going for as an actor. You know what I mean? Like one of the things that you have to look for, especially in acting for is like, you kind of, I remember one of the hardest exercises was to go home and critique yourself and say, what would you cast yourself as? You know what I mean? What are you a leading man? Are you a character actor? Are you, you know, what roles do you want to try out for? And that will shape what monologues you pick when you audition. And so very early on, I, I realized that I loved playing the bad guy. I love mm. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's like one of my favorite things or side comic relief. You know, I'm just so I kind of look towards actors like that. And those are kind of hard actors to point out in musicals and and those are actors that don't not, not normally get nominated at a Tony's award if I'm getting to that point. So it's tough mm-hmm. for me to kind of say, Oh, I love that guy because that would be not me. You know, you know what I'm getting? You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Right. So what about you when you were a kid? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I'm, I won't lie. I was a, I was a Tony geek. Um, it was, it was like, you know, that and the Oscars each year was like a national holiday for me. And I remember, Tape. I, I would tape it every year 
I would go back just to watch the performances. Not really, I, I could care less about the awards presentations. I just wanted to watch the, the actual performances themselves uh, to see how people sang songs, to learn how to do vibrato, to learn about stage presence and things like that. That's what, that's what got me charged gotcha. uh, watching the Tonys. And I remember, <laughs> funny story, I remember the day of my college graduation at Elmira, um, the graduation ceremony was over at like two, three o'clock, I think, in the afternoon. Yeah. And I remember literally getting in a car, saying my goodbye to my friends real quick, getting in a car and racing four and a half hours back to Connecticut just in time to watch the Tonys uh, that night. Um, that's how important it was to me to watch it, you know, live. And what's interesting is looking back on it now and applying what I saw you know, there to the way that, you know, my acting technique, my directing technique, it, none of that, um, n- nothing that I watched then resulted in what I do now. It's like, I do things completely differently, but it set, it set the stage for me to get interested. It set the stage for me to, to explore more and to learn more and things like that. And when you brought it up, you know, you, you made a great point because I remember when I was in shows with you, you know, especially things like Pippin or, you know, Hawk, right. you know, you're playing traditional musical theater characters, but you, you definitely took a different angle towards those characters that you don't commonly see, you know, musical theater trained actors do. So I, I, I totally get right. what you're saying. Yeah. I always thought that was my strength because I'm surrounded in a room, you know, filled with people that, you know, haven't seen Army of Darkness a hundred times or something. So <laughs> it's not that I would lift material from Army of Darkness, but yeah, I would lift material from Army of Darkness and make a joke. And they'd right. be like, wow, Ben, where'd you come up with that? I'd be like, it's this movie. It's Army. It's one of the funniest movies of all time. They're like, oh, whatever. You know, and so like I was in this room with these people that would be dismissive, but not realizing that what you can pull from great cult movies and different performances, you know, it's kind of what we do on this podcast is, you know, just deriving all entertainment, deriving things from all entertainment and using that into performance or using that into your humor. It's not like about lifting and copying. It's more about like, what's the, what's the basis of this joke? Why does this make this funny? How can I recreate it? And so, yeah, that was always my different attack. And I think that's what made me stand out, not in an upstagey way, but it was almost like I would, I was being subversive, subversive on the stage. It was, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think a great, a great example of that was when you did Hawk. Uh, I think that was yeah. your senior year. You were, you were yeah, playing yeah. a frog and it, it's a very, you know, jovial, you know, out there type of, you know, character. But, you know, if I'm remembering correctly, what was interesting, what you did was you made it almost like a darkish cartoon character like a like almost like a cheshire like a darker version right. of a cheshire cat where it was almost like ooh, like that's kind of you know disturbing in a way <laughs> um even when you were singing you know and dancing and things like that it still had that like over the top like kind of weird angle to it and it made it more interesting it right. made it stand out well more. yeah and because you don't the, the point of theater is you know it, you can point someone out when they're upstaging someone, right? It's something that I talk about in theater class. And I I, I talk about, you know, the first time you have like a a play or a musical with little kids, you know, and the first time a kid says, hi, mom, you know, and looks off stage, Mm -hmm. it's so distracting and cute, right? If an adult does that, (laughs) like, hey, girlfriend or hey, wife, 
that is highly inappropriate <laughs> and instantly you hate that person and it, right. it distracts from everything and that's upstaging. So you want to stand mm-hmm. out, but you don't want to stand out like that where it's inappropriate. So it's about finding that angle where it's like, how can I stand out, but not upstage the other actors where my other fellow actors will hate me for the rest <laughs> of their yeah. lives and not want to work with me. And, you know, and it, and of course it comes with rehearsing. It comes with preparing your actors backstage and like I gave an example, like I played um, both roles. I played uh, Chris and George in All My Sons. So I, the cool thing is I've played Chris in college, but then I played George in mm-hmm. um, local theater up here. And what's great about that is they have this great argument scene and it's rapid fire machine gun argument. And me and this one actor, we got so good at it that, you know, we would practice the argument. It was like, let's practice the argument. And we just fire off the lines without any emotion backstage. And what's great about it is I would go to him and go, Hey, let's really push it tonight. Let's yell. And then some, and then I'd go, let's pull it back and do it really quiet and like hateful, but like sarcastic. He's like, all right. So you prepare those actors and you prepare everyone else on stage to know that you're going to do something like Mm -hmm. that. And it, it keeps it fresh, but you're also not blindsiding your other actors into going, Oh my God, Ben, threw me a curveball and I'm going to break up and laugh on stage and ruin the whole show. So it's that fine line between that, Chris. So, you know, but bringing it back. Yeah. It's hard for me to kind of, I don't know. My approach is a little different than most actors, but that being said, here we go. Let's bring it back. I'm going to bring it back. That being said though, I knew that all of my favorite actors in all plays, all musicals, all movies, all TV were classically trained theater actors mm-hmm. and performers right. so i knew there was something there like okay when i would see someone and be like oh he went to broadway like even like back in the day it'd be like um kelsey Grammer. kelsey Grammer was a stage actor and then worked his way up into cheers so it's head dance a lot of the people on cheers were and you know what i mean so i was like huh that's that's really interesting here's this cheesy sitcom but this guy was doing like hardcore othello hamlet you know shakespeare stuff and then it translates on screen because it, that voice and everything that gravitas comes across in that, you know, Fraser crane character just comes across on screen. So, you know, love it. Love it. Yeah, dude. Good stuff, man. All right. Keep going. But uh, yeah, but speaking of, here's a segue, Chris, but speaking of an actor that was theater trained and I always thought should have a bigger career. Let's talk about Tony Todd. You familiar with Tony Todd, Chris? Yeah, of course. The Candyman. Candyman. <laughs> Candyman. I always thought Tony Todd was just so awesome. And Candyman, Candyman 2 is actually like a really sneaky, good horror movie. I haven't seen that in years, but I would I'd be willing to check that one out again. I, I got to check that out. Um, so the article I want to talk about is the original Candyman, Tony Todd, will have an applause worthy, in quotes, role in Jordan Peele's spiritual sequel. So Jordan Peele is taking the. Um, reigns of Candyman, so he is going to direct i think he's going to direct a Candyman or produce a Candyman. i think i could see that movie in my head playing right now it's gonna be awesome um great little direction for him to take a, you know an old kind of you know ip and and fresh it up but chris the reason why i bring this up is i want to talk about an actor or actors that you always rooted for back in the day, like nineties, two thousands. And you always thought that they were going to make it, or you always wish that they had a bigger career and they didn't. Do you have someone like that in mind? Oh my God. Oh, 
That's yeah, a baby. that's a great question. That's a great question. Because I mean, because you know, we always talk about a bunch of actors and stuff, that, right? You know, like Bruce Campbell or something like that, or Tony Todd. You know that you know I'm a horror geek and I was for a long time, so I'd be like, man, that guy is such a good actor. Why isn't he in more stuff? And you know, with Tony Todd, you could point to, um, you know, racism in the Hollywood system or something like that. You totally could because here's mm-hmm. here's a man that is running a movie. You know, without Tony Todd, there is no Candyman. He's also in um, Night of the Living Dead, the remake by Tom Savini. Yeah, uh, and he's fabulous in it, just owning that movie and just like, and then nothing. And then we're left with nothing, you know, small parts here and there, but really nothing. So is there anyone like that for you, Chris? I got a couple. Yeah. You know, now, now that I think about it, um, you know, there are a couple that stand out in my head. The first is William Forsythe. Oh, yeah. Good one. And, you know, <laughs> it's funny about him. He's such an intense guy. I mean, for those of you who, don't, who know what I'm talking about, <laughs> I mean, he's in Dick Tracy. He plays Flat Top. Right. Um, he's in this amazing movie called The Water Dance about paraplegic um, you know, kind of a rehab clinic. And he's what? amazing that. Oh my gosh. Him and Wesley Snipes. I mean, it's just, it's incredible movie. The water dance. What? Yeah. Oh, stop it. That sounds crazy. I saw it on cable uh, a long time ago. It's about, um, yeah, it's about just about a, guys who are just dealing with paralysis and it's, it's him. I think Eric Stoltz is in it. Like, oh, wow. it's, it's an incredible, incredible movie. So yeah. Oh, weird. Yeah. Well, he's also in things to do in Denver and when you're oh, dead. It's incredible. He's in, um, He's in Firestorm with Howie Long, which is on the theater. Uh, and then um, he's also in Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, right? right? And he also, I think yeah. he played, uh, gosh, uh, Al Capone in the Untouchables TV show, which I was obsessed with as a kid, obviously. So again, he was just, I, I always saw, thought of him as like a really intense actor. He's also incredible in The Rock, by the way. Another great you know, performance. Yes, he is. <laughs> um, he's great in that You know, movie. it's yeah. it's just one of those things where I just thought he would have a bigger um career and, and i and, and don't get me wrong he's 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 had you know he's played you know supporting roles and things like that but i thought this guy like he could be one of our great villain actors of that generation and then it just it just never uh never happened for him another one um that i absolutely loved um was oh gosh what's his name oh i'm blanking isai morales oh isai morales yes yeah, um um la bamba he's in that yep and he's also in the movie with um, the 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 teacher movie where they're they're in like the oh uh, uh, South stand, LA. stand by me St- stand and deliver stand deliver stand and deliver. It, yeah. yes with Edward James yes. almost and yes. stuff right he's yes. also in this yeah, I yeah. mean one of his first movies which I, have you ever seen this movie called Bad Boys of course with with uh, <laughs> Sean Penn did Sean I show Penn. you did I show you that movie maybe mayhaps back in the day i might have had a screening party in my room with rob o'connell i think we might have watched that they i think it's i think it's Eastside morales and sean penn have and clancy brown clancy brown yes you know they i think these two guys have this like fight in the prison that Mm -hmm. like just the two of them and it's epic but i mean Eastside morales played like these just dirty villainous like you guys you can't trust he was amazing in la bamba he was incredible this movie called batteries not included that i absolutely loved as a kid love that movie yeah another guy like movie. another guy that i'm like um oh, every every time i saw him i'm like hey man you're awesome <laughs> and um yeah he's he's just another one that i'm like oh, i wish i wish he had a bigger career but now he's doing a lot of tv like and stuff oh like totally that, but yeah I know, of course. And, and you know what? And these guys that you're rooting for are, of course, working actors. It's not like they're like 
never in anything. We're pointing out the movies that we're in, but like when you see him, you're like, oh man, Isai Morales, I love that guy. Or William Forsyth, I love yeah. that guy. You know what I mean? And there's just and they have iconic roles. They they catch these roles, and you're like, this is a perfect casting. Like, like, and there's some actors that you want in your bullpen. Like, who am I gonna cast in this this part? And you know, I, I mean, uh, speaking of William Forsyth, I just thought he plays a great villain in uh it's a uh <laughs> it's a steven seagal movie it's the one in chicago and he's going around killing everyone you see richie <laughs> he's going around and is it mark for oh, death man. or is it it's, or is that the one with, with the jamaicans i can't remember no mark for death is with uh <laughs> they're all the three title names oh my god no mark for death is the one with the jamaican gang this is the one where oh, okay. steven seagal plays an italian guy you know how he plays like an eskimo in one and then he's an italian in one <laughs> Right. Uh, <laughs> out for justice out, out for, justice. for justice yeah and he's like oh you see richie around and he has the pool fight with the, the oh my god so good <laughs> but the, like that's a, such like without him in that role like there really isn't a good movie and you know of course when steven salt confronts him it's not like he's gonna break out some like taekwondo or something it's right like, he's just a bad dude that he's just gonna kick his ass but that's how most of his movies are and I don't know, he just fits a perfect bill and there's just certain actors out there that just fit that perfect bill. And I just wish, I don't know. It's really tough sometimes to stand by and say, why isn't, why aren't these people more famous? And, but you know what? I think that's what makes cult movies cult is we're left with two, three good Eastside Morales movies in the eighties. And we're just forced to watch them over and over and over again, because he's not given the opportunity to, being another good script for a while until, you know, like you said, TV comes around producing, you know, and he's done a lot since, mm -hmm. but you know, that's why we would watch these movies over and over again. It's like, Oh man, I love that actor. Let's just watch that movie again. Cause I love that actor. Yeah. So, you know, that that's a big part in cult movie. Watching. And, you know, not to be a misogynist, but they, on the, on the female side, you know, one of my favorite yeah. actresses, again, still hasn't gotten the, the level of work that she deserves is, you know, Amanda Plummer, you know, honey bunny from, from Pulp Fiction. I mean, she anytime i see her i'm like oh my god she can play insane like nobody's business and um yeah just never never i mean she'd done some good stuff here and there but just never got never got that push that i was hoping for right yeah and there's tons of female like and also um i think her name is Catherine han oh yeah the woman from stepbrothers mm -hmm. and stuff like that i mean i point to that movie because she's maybe in four movies or something i think she was on a tv commercial recently and I was like, wait, is that Catherine Hahn? And I Googled it. It was. It was like a minivan commercial. And I was like, is that the woman from Step Brothers? It was so weird. And she's a great actress. And I think she's in something coming Another out. Another classically trained theater actress, I too. I mean, it's she's just, that's her world. So interesting. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah Good dude. stuff. Love what that. you got. What you got? Love it. Well, dude, I know we talked about this before, but this past weekend was my son's first dance recital. Yeah, I saw that. So you saw that you saw, I showed some pictures, a little video here and there. We've talked about like kids who go out and like the first thing they say is hi mom. He totally did that, by the way. <laughs> Kid, the little dude, he walks out on stage, audience is sold out. He can't the lights are down, so he can't see anybody in the crowd. But the first thing he goes is, Hi everyone. And then like everybody starts laughing and then the dance begins and he's got this huge smile on the face, loving every second of it, which is awesome. And That's as a parent, great. like there's nothing better than watching a kid having a blast on stage when especially on something like that where you know, as a five-year-old, you never know how it's going to go. Um, like I had a list of like things of like, I hope this doesn't happen. And I was like, <laughs> so like, I hope he follows the dance. I hope he doesn't remove his shirt. Um, <laughs> it's like, yeah, right. I hope he doesn't run off the stage, things like that. So, but it went really well, but it got me thinking in the entire recital, 
and there's like maybe this is like the little little kids at the studio so there's only like you know six or seven numbers and stuff like that but he was the only boy in the entire recital Mm. and you know when we when we brought in like the the older kids later on you know that because this is the studio that my wife teaches at you know maybe i could count the guys on one hand so to speak and i wrote an article on the blog last year where i basically said to guys take a dance class if you're looking to go into theater if you're looking to become an actor even if you're not looking to do musical theater still do a dance class mm-hmm. it it helps you with it it movement it helps you understand your body how muscles move how to posture how to walk differently it it's just it's so educational and i it's i struggle with the fact that not more boys or you know young men take a dance class because for some reason there's a stigma of like, I can't do that. Like that's that's for girls and things like that. But like, no, it's like, it will help you so much more. Um, just, just in life skills alone, take a dance class. So that's, I mean, that's basically my point. Like guys, no, and listen there. And you know what? And actually, you know, after playing sports all my life and then doing theater and when I came back to baseball, you know, in the 30 and over league with my dad, I, I think that, you know, dance movement, like the extra balance I had definitely helped me in the box. I, I definitely don't remember me hitting the ball <laughs> as well as I did when I came back. And I was like, and not to like, you know, gloat or anything like that, but just I, especially my last season playing ball, you know, this is a while ago now, but I was hitting like, like they were like, dude, you're hitting like 500 this week. And I was like, really? Mm. They're like, yeah, you're going crazy. And just bloop singles everywhere. And like, they're like, oh do you look for a per- particular pitch and i'm like no dude i'm like ted williams i just hit the ball if it's in there so i don't care if he's curving <laughs> it in there or throwing it in there i i'm not that smart i don't know enough about pitching so throw me the ball I'll hit it and uh but i swear it was that kind of coordination in my body that extra balance that extra kind of movement because you know think of the batter's box you know there's only a couple things you need to really pay attention to um you know black back foot planted back elbow up swing nice and even keep your eye on the ball like with those instructions you know i'm coaching t-ball now with those instructions you really can see a kid's swing like start to hit really hard like at a very rudimentary level Mm -hmm. and what dance does is gets that part of your brain going okay you know even just learning a box step which i'm trying to do as i'm standing here talking with you there you go it came back uh doing a box step like that is using multiple parts of your brain and then you add rhythm in there it's just good for your brain. It, it helps fight off dementia when you do stuff like that, like Tai Chi and Qigong, something I, I teach at the clinic all the time. So it's it's around those it's along those lines of mental health and physical health at the same time. So I totally agree, Chris. Just totally, a thousand percent. Awesome. Awesome. All right, man. What's your number five? Number five. I already here to number five. I can't believe it. Uh, man, I got a bunch this week. What am I gonna what am I gonna throw at you? Do 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 do. Let's talk about um, – I haven't seen Rocket Man. I really want to see it before I talk about it on the pod. Hmm. But let's talk about Roman Polanski's wife criticizes Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So how can you – so here's a quote. So this is uh, Roman Polanski's, of course, current wife. And she says, how can you take advantage of someone's tragic life while trampling on them? Something to think about. 
um, and I'm talking about the system that tramples Roman. A little explanation because I understand that people don't understand my point of view, and I'm not criticizing the film. I'm just saying that it doesn't bother them to make a film about Roman and his tragic story. So, Chris, what do you think about this? I mean, she's coming out even before the film was released. Um, we don't even know how much the film will actually surround that event. I know it's going to be a part of the you know the whole Charles Manson, Charles Manson murder mm-hmm. murders. Um, it plays a part in that, but we don't even know if, you know, I've speculated that we might not even see that, you know what I mean? We've, we, Tarantino's so wild. He might bring us to that brink in the end, you know what I mean? It's like, right. we, we don't even know. So what do you think about her criticism? Did, did that cross your mind while viewing the trailer for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or even just hearing about what it was? Did it, did it seem he better be careful and not disrespect them? Or did you not even think of that? Didn't even think of it. didn't even think of it and you know what to me it felt like this kind of statement this this you know protest as it were it felt like it was like loaded in the chamber no matter what like it was this was going to be fired out no matter you know the second that this movie came out you know the second that i was dealing with sharon tate and you know that that whole era it felt like this was going to be prepared and just, it was just going to be timed appropriately of when we're going to, you know, put out a, a statement, so to speak. And, you know, keep in mind, I mean, this is probably, this is a couple, you know, Polanski and his wife that have, especially in 2019, have probably faced, you know, newfound criticism, newfound outrage and things like that. So the, the, the hypersensitivity of this that you probably didn't see, in the eighties and nineties and two thousands, and especially when I was making the piano and all these other films, um, you didn't see that then, but now it's like, because we're in the culture that we are, it's like people remember like how messed up this whole situation actually is. So yeah, it just, it felt like to me in reading the article right now, it just felt like this was something that the second that Quentin Tarantino was making a movie about this period, this was like a thought on their mind and they're just going to fire out this statement, you know, before the movie comes out without even having seen it. Yet. Yeah. That is really interesting. Yeah. If, if the movie comes out, I mean, I could be totally wrong and you know, Tarantino is not scared to show us things that we don't want to see on screen that will be visceral, visceral mm-hmm. and make us feel emotions in a certain way, you know, not to shock it. Like, I don't think, you know, that is why he's kind of survived the way he is at the time. I'm thinking of like, you know, Zed, the Zed, uh, <laughs> the Zed sequence in Pulp Fiction at the time, that was very shocking because we'd never seen something like that on film. But when you look at that sequence now, it's almost like a joke. It's not shocking at all. I'm laughing the whole time. You know, Bruce Willis, of course, <laughs> selecting his weapon off the pawn shop shelves. It's a funny sequence. And then, but at the time, I remember thinking like, oh, wow, this is kind of crazy and racy, especially the first viewing of that. But now, like, I really can't see him using it in i mean he makes exploitation movies and makes fun of them but i can't see him basing the whole movie around that one event even just looking at the trailer it's filled with like bruce lee and the dating game and laughing there's so much content in this movie i think it's more about the you know look at the title of the movie it's called once upon a time in hollywood it's more about the general milieu of what was going on at the time in hollywood and the kind of golden age before this event you know, kind of tragically ended everything. I think it's more about that spirit that dies, that kind of free love. Mm -hmm. We can, you know, we can hang out with this kind of crazy guy named Charlie and the beach boys at this cool place, you know, let's do it. Like where that all came crashing to a a halt 
like with that event totally. So yeah, yeah, I I, I don't know. Yeah, Chris, you're you're a thousand percent right. Like, I mean, yeah. I think this is. I mean, I, I I'd have to go back and really look at it, but I this is this is Tarantino's. I think his first film that really deals with you know nonfiction in a way. And um, well, you know, well, Hitler. <laughs> Oh, Hitler, you know, alternate universe of, of Hitler, so to speak. No, that um, really happened. That really happened. I, I, <laughs> that really happened. Really happened. I'm taking that as canon, um, in, you know, in history. <laughs> I'm just going to insert exactly. that in history books. <laughs> when I tell Deacon when about think- when we get to World War II and I'm talking history, I'd be like, then the bastards <laughs> run into the bathroom <laughs> and shoot the guy in the face. I was like. So you're 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 basically Samuel L. Jackson in the Glorious Bastards, like narrating the movie to Deacon. There That's right. Go. Amazing. Um, but yeah, I think because this is really his first film delving into, you know, facts in a way, um, I think I don't think you're gonna see him glorify, if that makes sense, or exploit like right. I mean, keep in mind, I mean Sharon Tate was also pregnant at the time. So like, you know, it's not like there's it's it was an awful thing that happened. But I mean, if I had to guess and predict how this movie is gonna play out, I think it is gonna play out like a almost like a pulp fiction type of layout where you've got all these interconnecting stories and that's just that's one of them that just happened right. and totally. like i said it it's it happened you know it's it's unavoidable um that that polanski was going to be kind of pulled into this but again we haven't seen the film yet no one's seen the film yet except for th- those who or made it con, so or the con film festival or the con excuse right, me the con week, yeah and they said they're equating it to a masterwork that is the you know closest to pulp fiction than he's ever been so i right. can't really see them you know standing ovation and then over like an exploitation film about right. like a murder <laughs> i can't see them plus saying, i mean and you know not for nothing but every single tarantino film has controversy you know it's right. like okay like who's who's gonna complain about a tarantino film this week and things like that so i think <laughs> it's and, like you know, we're used to this by now yeah and right. and maybe we're not there yet you know maybe you know when you look at reservoir dogs it's still a graphic movie like don't get me wrong i'm not like totally like shying away from how graphic that movie is how many swears are in it you know how violent all of his movies are but by today's standards it's almost dramatic. It's like a stage play. It's right. it's slow. I, I couldn't imagine like like showing like Reservoir Dogs to like a seventeen year old now. They'd be bored. They'd be on their phone going, "Okay, is, is this? Are we going to go anywhere else? Are we actually going to see this stupid heist?" <laughs> I could see like in this like payoff culture of like "Gimme, gimme, gimme, show me, show me, show me." Like this YouTube clip. Hey, sh- check out this YouTube clip. Yeah, check this out. I could see that movie driving today's culture insane. <laughs> and like especially reservoir dogs like the rest of them you know kind of clip along or jackie brown oh my god they'd be bored to tears and those to are tears two of my favorite tarantinos you know what i mean it's like i think that once people got what he was all about they kind of like sat back and go okay all right he's not just like the shock master like we're gonna walk into the theater and there's gonna be people's like eyeballs exploding or something like that, you know, right. which might happen at any second of any one of his movies. <laughs> but you know, I like to think that he's justified in his use of gore and violence and swearing, and it's to a point, it's to have a dramatic effect. You know, mm-hmm. like the 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 point that I, I I talk that I'm pointing to is the last shootout in Django Unchained. Um, you know, you're watching this movie with graphic violence that's pretty realistic until like the third act where the the explosions and I think that's K&B uh, effects 
um, Greg Nicotero and all those guys. I, I think that you have these giant fountains of blood coming out of these bodies. And, you know, when he shoots the wife and she just gets flung back Desperado style into the room, <laughs> she's like, he's like, bye. And she gets like flung back. It's so dramatic and over the top. It's funny. I, I remember seeing that in the theaters and the whole audience laughed and was like, whoa, like and cheered. And that's what he wanted. He didn't want, you know, you see Django beaten to shit in the first two acts of this movie and it's realistic, nasty torture, gross. And then you have this explosion of evil dead makeup effects, just going nuts. And I think that's what he wants. He, he does everything for a dramatic effect to make you feel a certain way. And let me tell you the, you know, spoiler alert, when you watched *Inglorious bastards and you saw Hitler get shot, if you didn't just standing, O <laughs> in that theater, I think it was me and my friend Josh. And we were sitting there like, I think we both stood and just applauded and was just like, Oh my <laughs> God, what just happened? Love it. Yeah, dude. That's amazing. That's I can't wait. I can't, I can't wait. wait. And actually I mean, I think for, in terms of like Oscars and, and what will contend at the end of the year for that, I mean, obviously this is going to be at the top of the list. I think, I think, so. um, I think he's due. I think he's over, over, overdue, but I think this one might be the one just it's content and everything. And I could just Mm -hmm. see this one. I could see this one sweeping at this point, but I know we're early in the season, but you know, I mean, speaking of they, they, they they just had that trailer for Ford versus Ferrari, which looks really great. That's my segue. So baby, look at that. I called it. You you called it. You saw the trailer. Yes. Um, Yes. That movie looks insane. Yes. So for those of you don't know, it's a movie called Ford versus or v ferrari yeah which is all about um henry ford's you know mission and leo coca's mission of building a better race car than the ferrari back in the 1960s and they basically you know dispatched these two guys this automotive design visionary named carol shelby uh and a, a risky like you know throwing caution to the wind type of driver, uh, Ken Miles. And, and it's played by Matt Damon and Christian Bale, respectively. And it's directed by James Mangold, who did Logan, which is an unbelievable film. Of course. Um, and, you know, uh, Walk the Line. I mean, just, you know, he's, he, I don't think he's ever directed a bad movie, to be quite honest with you. And it the, the trailer looks ridiculous. But even more so, it looks ridiculously fun. And yeah, very rarely, I mean... There are trailers that, you know, get us excited for films like, oh, man, like I can't wait for the next Marvel film and things like that. But there's very few times I can remember where like a trailer got me like charged where I'm like, right. Holy shit. I got to be there. Like, and a that, quality like, movie, too. Not just like a Fast right. and the Furious or like, you know, what I mean? right. Like and based Sean on Hobbs no movie or something. Exactly. Yeah. Based on no you know existing properties. I mean, we're talking about just an original film coming out of nowhere. That's like. Oh my God, I got to be there to watch this thing about 1960s, you know, car racing. Um, so yeah, it, it just, it, it's, it's an amazing trailer. The cast is ridiculous. So when we talk about like, what's going to be really at the top there for Oscars, I mean, looking at this one, it's like, that's gotta be up there, you know? Right. Yeah. And, what, and what was your take I, on it? Yeah. I, I think you're totally right, Chris. And you know, this is going to be up there too with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, it's not like bold. It's not like we're making hot takes here. I mean, just the cast looks great. the The film looks great. I mean, just from the trailer, it looks awesome. Um, unless they just mess this whole thing up, <laughs> which I, I hard to believe. But we're going into the summer. It looks like a fun movie. It looks like a, a really kind of 
you know, there's trailers out there and you see a trailer for a movie and you're like a film and you're like, wow, that looks really good, man. I can't wait. But at the same time, you're like, that's going to win some Oscars. But all right, I'm going to have to force myself to get into it. You know what I mean? Once I start watching, you know, for example, the Phantom Thread, (laughs) (laughs) I'll get into it and it'll probably be great. So let's just check it out. But, you know this thing looks great. It looks like it has wheels. It looks like it has, it looks like it has feet. It just looks like it's, it's going to be off to the races and just, I don't know, kicking ass. And uh, it's good to see Matt Damon and Christian Bale in a movie where they can kind of flex everything, right? Where they can have fun. It's an action movie. You got freaking Jason Bourne (laughs) and you got freaking Batman in the movie, right? So they can flex those muscles, but at the same time they can flex their intensity muscles and their kind of film muscles. You know what I mean? You, you you also have, you know, Bale, who's been in kind of semi-independent movies like, um, you know, Into the Furnace, where it was kind of like this dirty, dark. I, there's some fight scenes in it, but it's just such a dirty movie. So there's that kind of edge to Christian Bale, of course, that he brings that edge to all of his performances. But then Damon, you know, brings a kind of lightheartedness. It's just a perfect casting. We're talking about perfect casting in this world. It looks like from the outside, this looks like a perfect cast movie. I hope they just don't screw it up. It could be a lot of fun. And you know what? Hopefully at the end of the day, we we get this Oscar movie, but maybe we'll just have some fun this summer. So yeah. I'm excited. Fingers crossed. I'm excited. Dude. Awesome. Yeah, Dave. Well, that's going to wrap up our, our top five there. So let's let's do what we do best. Let's go YouTube, my friend. YouTube, baby. Let me uh, let me hit off the uh, let me hit off the YouTube and raft first. Please. After you. Um, so I, I just have a couple. Um, I think I mentioned that Still Ill, the 25 years later of com- ill communication. That's on YouTube. It's by Amazon Pictures. I don't know why they put that out there. Um, but, you know, here, here. It's great. <laughs> so new interview, um, you know, old footage, uh, great memories. I, I don't remember. I don't know if you know this, Chris. Do you remember when REM, I think they won an MTV Music Award, and Adam Yoke went up as uh, – Adam Yauk went up as Nathaniel Hornblower and like got up on the stage and was pissed that Spike Jones didn't win for sabotage. Do you remember that event? No, I got so, to go back and watch that. Yeah. yeah. You'll have to look it up. It's definitely on YouTube. And it's, it's so REM won. I, it must've been losing my religion or something. And they won the award instead of sabotage. Adam Yauk MCA <laughs> runs up on stage as Nathaniel Hornblower. So he's in this little kind of fedora, this hiking you know, later hosen outfit with, with this like orange goatee. He runs up in front of them and says, uh, Spike Jones will be so disappointed. He didn't win the award. I gave Spike all his ideas. I even came up for all the ideas for star Wars. <laughs> I remember that. Guards yeah. pull them off. And like, it's one of the greatest memories, like moments ever, 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 please go check that out. So they include that in there. And uh, so that was a great video. <laughs> I, I love that. I, I have all the ideas for star Wars a little bit. Um, so I've talked about SB nation, a bunch on here, mm-hmm. a great YouTube page. And they have this one segment or this one kind of vine on YouTube where they're talking about weird rules. And this one is early MLB had very dumb rules. That's what this video is called. Um, It's six minutes, 34 seconds. And it's just talking about how when Major League Baseball came about or not Major League Baseball, when baseball came about, they really didn't have any rules. They just had a ball and a bat and they just started making rules up as they went. Mm-hmm. And one of the rules was, there's a couple I'm going to talk about. One of the rules is you can't substitute. So there's an actual rule in the book. It says you can't substitute player 
you can't substitute a player when the ball is in play. <laughs> okay. So, so this really happened in like 1860 something or 70 something. A guy, a ball was hit way high in the field. And the guy that was um, the coach of the team and a player ran out from the dugout and yelled, I substitute myself to catch and then caught the ball and made the out. <laughs> and when the ump said, you can't do that, he says, there's no rule in the book that says I can't. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love baseball so much. And then also there's another part where um, an umpire, if they missed a play, they could just turn to the audience and ask if, if they saw it and then go by their ruling. <laughs> So that was instant replay back in the day. Just ask. Hey, no what'd you think? Hey, you, hey, dude. Hey, guy. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the sun was in my eyes. Hey, man. Did you tell me what the hell just happened? I, I nodded out for a little Amazing. bit. <laughs> Amazing. Just great stuff. Great segment. And then, all right, Chris, this is a weird one. Okay. I always, I always bring some weird stuff on YouTube. Um, this is on the channel Plainly Difficult. Mm -hmm. And it's a called... A brief history of the Demon Core. So the Demon Core was this kind of uranium core that they were going to use in actually a third bomb to bomb Japan in World War II, but they never got to use it, and they would use it for experiments. Mm -hmm. And it talks about how many people this Demon Core killed in all these experiments because people would just do these boneheaded things like this guy. Like So apparently you can't have a... Um, a, a core like touch certain materials because it'll go hypercritical or supercritical and then radiation just floods the room instantly you know just talking about chernobyl and stuff maybe that's why this guy put this video out and it just talks about the horrors of chernobyl and the horrors of radiation poisoning and just craziness it's, it's such a fascinating topic I, I i like hearing about it but i hate hearing about it it's probably like my top 10 worst ways to die is radiation poison it just seems awful Chris, have you watched Chernobyl yet? You know, it's funny. I, I've gotten through half of it. It is awful. It is it's awful. awful. And it's awful. I got I got through, I think it's the third episode when you're starting to see like the firemen, like what's happening Ugh. to them. And it's Ugh. it's like just picture like zombie movies, but like worse because they're in real life. In real life, because that's what it looks it's just awful. And it's it, it what it terrible. makes me angry because I'm like stay away <laughs> like yeah just go away don't go like and they just keep calling people calling the day shift right don't yeah. don't oh. hug your husband like you know it's like it's just oh. all these things and it's awful but at the same time it's 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 a very well done uh documentary yes. and our our miniseries and again like we talk about like amazing oscars and stuff like that um like the race for best miniseries this year between this and when they see us and the Fosse Vernon stuff. I mean, it's going to be a ridiculous year for, for miniseries, um, which is, which is great, but uh, yeah. Oof. Yeah. Ooh. Well, it just, and, and the reason why I brought that YouTube clip up in Chernobyl up is just to remind you that all that stuff you see on that show is a thousand percent true. And then you, you think about in the back of your head, like how, how do we know all these facts? How do we know all this about Chernobyl? Because, you know, it's definitely covered up for years at what actually happened and everyone that was there mm -hmm. died. And so, you know, you're really guessing at a couple things here and there. Um, but to the research that went to that show, what actually happens when you handle your rain? I remember on the first episode, Chris, when the firemen 
just touches a piece of metal and he's like, what's this? And the guy's like, put it down, grab the hose. And like five minutes later, his hand is like burning. Like, Ugh. oh, it's so awful. Like even through an asbestos gloves, like uranium just cuts through your core. Oh, so terrible. Like radiation is a horrible thing. <laughs> this horrible thing. I know. Listen, I'm sitting here talking on a podcast powered by radiation energy up north. I know. But it's still an awful thing that is just should be feared constantly. <laughs> oh, absolutely. 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 Well, Those are my three. <clears throat> I love it. My, my one huge YouTube and pick very simple. Um, this, this, uh, YouTuber, uh, her name is SSS sniper wolf. Okay. Um, she did a really interesting video, uh, called things that only exist in Japan. And it's about 12 minutes long. And she just rattles off like products and, like different types of cultural things that really only exist in Japan. And it's actually, it's actually more interesting than you would think. So for instance, yeah. in Japan, instead of like on stoplights, instead of having a green light, which means go their green light is blue. What? So it's a blue, it's a blue light. Um, Wait. So like, like the Jimi Hendrix song, the traffic lights turn blue tomorrow. <laughs> That's really, did, were they Japan. just Hendrix fans out there or something? Or is I that guess just, maybe they're just Hendrix fans. Um, <laughs> It's like they red is stop, okay. yellow is you know slow down, but then green is blue, green uh, is blue. or go is blue. Um, huh. They also have uh, Pepsi. The company Pepsi yeah. actually sells a pink drink. Uh, it's called like Pepsi Sakura, Sakura, um, and it's pink. It looks like pink lemonade. You can only get that in Japan. Mm. Um, and they have uh, vending machines that instead of like you can go up and you know get a you know soda or snacks, you can actually get a car out of a vending machine in Japan. Um, almost like a like a bike share program. So what? You just, yeah, you go up to a thing, you scan your credit card. This you know garage door opens, and then you can rent a car for like a couple hours. <laughs> it's a vending machine for cars. That's dope. So, so yeah, it's a, it's. I mean, I won't lie. Like she's very um, her her style of editing is very herky jerky. Very you know much with the the kids today would love it, so to speak. But if you can look past that, it's actually pretty interesting to see. Uh, so it's herky jerky mean okay. they just hit that rave horn that <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. <laughs> it's that, but like, yeah, it's oh. it's kind of annoying. Yeah, um I know. <laughs> I like when like YouTubers gets... make fun of that. I love when YouTubers like, <laughs> you know, and it's like um oh, there's one guy that does um he does uh, history, like historical like faction like he checks if movies are actually historically accurate. Like he'll go through like Goodfellas or Casino or something like that and see if the movie was like so it's really cut and dry it's kind of for our generation but then he's like you know other YouTubers and he'll he'll nail that horn he's like it's just it's amazing it's amazing all right folks well that's gonna do it for us this week wait I thought you said you had two did I yeah no I just had one oh Sorry. Sorry, you can cut that out. <laughs> cut that one out. <laughs> um, <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week on Desperately Seeking Entertainment. Ben, anything else going on you want to promote, plug, share? No. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of plugged my little album kind of monologue thing that I had uploaded on my page up to YouTube. And, you know, people said they really enjoyed it. So hopefully I'll get some more material and kind of do something similar and maybe I'll, you know, I, I think I'm going to pick a different region somewhere where I've lived or where I go and talk about people that live there. So I don't know, we're gonna try something else. So I'm going to keep creating and keep putting stuff out. Chris, you and you doing anything. Uh, what are you writing about coming up? Tell me what you're writing about. 
Can you well, do like a little plug? Can you do like a little spoiler or something? A like little that? little spoilers here and there. Um, yeah. I got basically a couple exposés coming out. A lot of a lot of shady things going on in the theater world today, both on Broadway and abroad. So definitely check out before the end of the week. We're gonna have something on um, some bu- professional bullying slash racial discrimination going on behind the scenes at uh, a Broadway show that has since closed. But it's it's pretty pretty tragic when you read the details uh, also there's a theater uh in a state which i can't name right now that uh is not paying their actors and being very shady about it so um, i'm working on that as well so again yeah a lot of a lot of stuff's going out there but that's actually a good segue folks if if there is um shady or un- unethical behavior or illegal behavior going on in your theater community that you you know, obviously want to blow the whistle on, please email us on stage blog at gmail.com. We would be more than happy to, you know, beam that out to the world and make sure that that stuff gets called out and uh, hopefully corrected. So yeah. And, and also if you want us to cover a topic on the pod, there's a user comment section on our desperately seeking entertainment Facebook. So now like people were talking about how can I kind of contribute? So you can kind of contribute in that way. And also Chris, wait, so you're going to the Tony's this weekend, right? Yes, I am. Weren't you? Uh, didn't you say a couple episodes? You know, you're going to ask Jeff Daniels what his favorite Nicolas Cage movie was. I am. I am. <laughs> and whatever he says, whatever answer, you stand up and go wrong. You just scream right in his face, right? <laughs> you lie. Um, and then my follow up is I'm going to ask him about um, you know, arachnophobia, the movie, uh, and say, let's talk about arachnophobia. Let's, let's talk about that movie. <laughs> funny i'll do the chris serious. i'll do the chris well, farley thing like you yeah. know do you remember when you're in that that was cool that was awesome yeah <laughs> <laughs> remember when you were in speed for like 10 minutes that was yeah. that was cool that was weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah it should be you know that's the cool thing about the, the tonys is that like as, as big as the broadway community is it's actually a very small community of people mm-hmm. and what's really cool is you when you grow up and you see these people on tv and you see them on stage and you think that they're you know, these big stars you know you never know like 10 years later you might be in the same room with them and it's really cool to interact with them um up close and um yeah looking forward to, to, to hopefully seeing some of those people you know in that that post-game press conference so to speak so awesome interesting awesome i can't wait so, to hear stories next week awesome awesome all awesome. right folks well you can find this podcast and all of our podcasts on onstage blog network at onstageblog.com where you will see a brand new format for how we're doing these podcasts uh, also this is going to be available on itunes and spotify in a brand new way as well by searching get this now you no longer have to search the onstage blog network you can just simply search desperately seeking entertainment and all of our episodes will be right there whoa get out of yeah. here get out of so town. that's why you don't have to scroll through a bunch of other podcasts that you have no interest in but you know that's ho- right hopefully you do <laughs> you just go to the main show you just, just go, go to the, to the main, big deal the big deal big deal here <laughs> exactly exactly all right folks well we'll see you right here next week have a good one 